Olin. <laughs> and clear all that cap space so you can go out and get a superstar like Bobby Portis. You got to ship out Porzingis so that you can get the all-world talent that is Taj Gibson. You, know, you don't forget Julius Randle. <laughs> the ineptitude of the Knicks was on full display yesterday. It's been on full display for a long time now. A month ago, they thought they were going to get Zion Williamson, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. They end up with Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, and Julius Randle. Clearing all that cap space to get nothing. Or next to nothing. And the Knicks fans are just inconsolable. And you know what? I don't feel a bit sorry for them. I knew this was coming. They thought talent was coming to the mecca of basketball. Madison Square Garden. And it is... Just not going to be wearing the Knicks uniform. It is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along on this Monday afternoon. A lot to get to today. Of course, we're going to touch on NBA and NHL free agency. Plus, we had some breaking news out of the WCHA that came out right about the time we were signing off on Friday. I've got the mastermind of the project coming on air with me here in about 10, 15 minutes. You aren't going to want to miss that interview, especially if you're a Northern Michigan hockey fan. Plus, the MLB All-Star rosters were announced yesterday. Who's in, who's out, who's being represented from this area. And, of course, the UP football All-Star game was this weekend at the Superior Dome. I've got some audio from that, plus recap and highlights. All that and more coming up over the course of the next hour here on ESPN-UP. But I want to start with NBA Free Agency. Because what a wild day it was yesterday. Wild in a few different ways. Wild because it was the start of NBA free agency. Wild also because it was my birthday. Thanks for everybody who reached out. It meant a lot to me. A new year for me. A new month for all of us as we flip the calendar to July. And with all the craziness that happened yesterday, there is still one big piece to the puzzle. And that is Kawhi Leonard. Where is Kawhi Leonard going to go? He's still meeting with the Lakers. He meets with the Raptors last. I don't know if Kawhi already has his mind made up. I can't tell you if I think he does or not, because that would imply that I know what Kawhi Leonard is thinking. I don't think anybody does. I tell you what, though, I hope it's not the Lakers. I still think the Clippers have the best shot to land him. I hope it's not the Lakers. Because if you think it was bad when Golden State got KD and matched him up with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, this is going to be even worse. You've got three of the top six players in the NBA all on one team. If Kawhi... Meets up with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Three of the top six players in professional basketball will be on one team. You thought the Warriors were in the NBA. The Lakers would do that ten times worse. It would be the biggest big three that LeBron has been a part of since his days in Miami with D. Wade and Chris Bosh. And this one would be even better. And LeBron's almost ten years older than when that big three formed. And despite that, this big three would be even better than the one he had in Miami. Don't do it, Kawhi. Don't go to the Lakers. Go to the Clippers. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Patrick Beverly re-signed with the Clippers yesterday. He'd immediately be a contender. He would anywhere he goes, whether he stays in Toronto or he goes to either L.A. team. And the Knicks just better go for broke and offer him anything he wants. It won't happen. There's no way Kawhi's going to be a New York Knick. But the Knicks got to do something because yesterday was brutal. And I'm going to get to that here in just a few moments. Some people wonder if Kawhi joins the Lakers, he forms a big three with LeBron and Anthony Davis. 
Is that a weaker move than Kevin Durant joining the Warriors back in 2016? The short answer is no. It is not weaker than Kevin Durant joining the Warriors. For one thing, Kawhi Leonard's already a champion. He is a defending champion. He was the leader of the defending champions. He's not making this move to go win a ring and try to solidify his legacy. Kevin Durant couldn't beat the team that he ended up joining. If you can't beat them, you join them. And that's how he got his rings. A lot of people don't give any kind of legitimacy to Kevin Durant's rings. So no, this move would not be weaker than Kevin Durant joining the Warriors back in 2016. But I still don't like it. I still don't want it to happen. Because you thought the Warriors ruined the NBA. The Lakers would do that ten times over. Ten times over. The Lakers would immediately be the favorites to win the NBA championship if they get Kawhi Leonard. And I said from the beginning... If you have the opportunity to divvy up that cap space, I said from the beginning, if you have the choice, go out and get another max superstar or divvy up the extra money and get depth, that you should go for depth unless you have a chance of getting Kawhi Leonard. Because Kawhi is worth it. He's just too good right now. But I'd go out and I'd get depth over a guy like Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, D'Angelo Russell. And I still believe that. If you have the chance to get Kawhi Leonard then you go get him. But anybody else isn't worth it. you got to divvy up that money, that excess cap space money, and get yourself some depth. Because right now, who's joining LeBron and AD on the bench? You've got nobody. I'm not saying that they don't have talented players. I mean, they literally have nobody. They've been trading away players, trying to clear up cap space. It will literally be a supporting cast of nobodies. That's why the Lakers need depth. You can never plan for injury. In your big scheme, you don't sell a free agent on the plan that maybe you could get hurt. Maybe plan A blows up due to injury. There's no plan B if that happens. You want to look at the risk factors and what's involved, but you don't plan around that. There is no plan B if plan A blows up. But if it does, and one of those big three gets hurt, then who do the Lakers turn to? You saw LeBron last year trying to lead a team of young guys by himself. He'd have an even worse supporting cast this year, albeit now he would have some help if they stay healthy. That's going to be the big it factor for the Lakers this season. Now going back to the Knicks, I said from the beginning, they are not going to get Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. They're just not built to be able to attract guys like that. James Dolan, let me see your medical records before I sign you. Some say that's crossing your T's and dotting your I's. No, no, because the upside of getting Kevin Durant a year from now, eating that contract while he recovers, and then getting him back even at 60% during his second year with your team, that's better than what you're in right now. You at least can sell optimism that we're a year away, but we're going to get Kevin Durant. He may not be the dominant player like he was, worst case scenario. Best case scenario, he recovers from the injury nicely. And he leads your team back to relevancy. Right now you're trying to sell optimism with Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, and Julius Randle. Centered around R.J. Barrett. We have a few New York fans that grace the airwaves of ESPN radio throughout the day. Stu Gatz being one, Stephen A. Smith another. I tell you what, Stephen A. Smith, love him or hate him, you hate to hear somebody that broken, that depressed. From a basketball standpoint, this has got to be one of the hardest times of his life. This last month, 
Take a listen to him yesterday when the news broke that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were going to Brooklyn, not the New York Knicks. Needed a few minutes to grab, gather my composure. Somehow, some way, I'm just trying to just hold it together, you know? Lifelong Nick fan. Years of mediocrity. I thought this was going to be it at least weeks ago. And then, you know, when I was doing first take and we were in Oakland and I got word about Kyrie in Brooklyn, realizing that that meant KD in Brooklyn, realizing that the New York Knicks were going to go without anything. $70 million in cap space. Porzingis gone. Porzingis can't be gone. And we don't get KD and we don't get Durant and Kyrie rather. No way. This can't happen. This can't happen. But it happened. The New York Knicks. With KD on the market, Kyrie on the market, Clay, Kemba, Jimmy Butler. They can't get somebody to come to Madison Square Garden. But because Brooklyn's got Sean Marks and because Brooklyn's got Kenny Atkinson and because Brooklyn has Live Nation and they're Brooklyn. In three years, the Brooklyn Nets have accomplished what we've been waiting for the New York Knicks to pull off for a half century. And more specifically in 20 years, in the last 20 years, this is what they pulled off. This is what they pulled off. I know the Knicks are going to go out and get somebody maybe like a Julius Randle. But how am I supposed to feel right now? I'm going to try to get it together by first take tomorrow. But I can't promise y'all what I'm going to do. I can't promise what I'm going to say. See y'all in the morning. Peace. You just hate to hear that. You feel for him. And he loves basketball. He's always been a basketball guy. And his favorite team consistently lets him down. In fact, they find new ways to let him down a little bit more each time. I tell you what, though, the New York basketball team that did have a good day yesterday, Stephen A. and I have alluded to it already, the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets are set to become a championship contender. Yesterday was one of the best days in the history of the Brooklyn Nets. They upgraded the point guard position. They're getting Kyrie Irving to come in for D'Angelo Russell next season and then Kevin Durant the following year. So how good is Brooklyn really going to be next year? They were a playoff team last year. Kyrie is an upgrade over D'Angelo Russell, at least that's what you would think. Boston thought that, that Kyrie was an upgrade over Isaiah Thomas, and look how that ended up. But you would think that Kyrie is going to be an upgrade over D'Angelo Russell, which means they'll be back in the playoffs, and that's Will, and they're probably going to be better than a sixth seed. Who is vulnerable? Who are the teams above them that are vulnerable? Because four of the five teams that finished ahead of Brooklyn last year made moves yesterday. Indiana had a huge day. They get Jeremy Lamb and Malcolm Brogdon. I don't need to tell you Bucks fans how good Malcolm Brogdon is for a basketball team, how efficient he is, and what he brings to the table. It's a big loss for Milwaukee, but they're happy because they were able to re-sign Chris Middleton. And by the way, Chris Middleton's $178 million contract that he signed yesterday is the richest ever for a second-round draft pick in NBA history. Philadelphia, they're kind of a mixed bag. They lose Jimmy Butler, but they get Al Horford, and they retain Tobias Harris. Philadelphia is still a mystery. They're still going to be one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, no doubt. But you're trying to replace Jimmy Butler with Al Horford. He's just not as good as Jimmy Butler is, not as versatile. 
You keep Tobias Harris, who struggled to say the least during last year's playoffs, and you're still trying to build around Ben Simmons being your number two. Ben Simmons is shorter than Al Horford, and Al Horford's a better shooter, and he can handle the ball okay. I don't know about combining Horford and Ben Simmons. I'm not sure about that. Philly, the jury's still out on them. And then, of course, the Boston Celtics. They bring in Kemba Walker as the heir apparent to Kyrie Irving. They make it official, signs a four-year max contract. Kemba has struggled with his efficiency throughout his career. He's a talented scorer, and the biggest upgrade that he brings to the table over Kyrie Irving, his health. Kemba Walker can play a full 82-game season. Kyrie Irving hasn't come close to that in his two years with Boston. Plus, you upgrade the locker room culture, the attitude, the environment. My biggest worry for Kemba is will he be able to distribute the ball? And I think a lot of his efficiency issues go back to his supporting cast. Michael Jordan's never built anything around him in Charlotte. Kemba gave everything he had to the Hornets. He had to put up so many shots because nobody else was going to do it and be able to make them on a consistent basis. Now Kemba has help. Now he has a supporting cast. And he's got a great head coach. Kemba's inefficiency has been the biggest worry for me, but I'm not too worried about it going into Boston. Most of the playoff teams in last year's Eastern Conference were making moves yesterday. Brooklyn, you certainly can't understate what they did. By the way, they added DeAndre Jordan as well. He's still got some left in the tank, especially when he doesn't have to be a top option. And of course, Derrick Rose, a two-year contract to come to Detroit. They get that point guard that they've been looking for. I tell you what, I like this move a lot. I think this is a great move for Detroit. Certainly going to be an upgrade over our Jacks right away. This was a good move for Detroit. This is the versatile point guard that they've been looking for. An experienced veteran guy. Detroit's got to be really happy with how this played out. Other notable movers yesterday. Thaddeus Young goes to Chicago. Jimmy Butler does what I thought he would have done last year. Go to a basketball team that's not really a contender, but it's in a fun city. Jimmy is now a member of the Miami Heat. Terry Rozier is finally going to get his shot. As a Celtics fan, I liked him. I felt like he never got a fair shot in Boston. When he did, he performed really well. And there may be hard feelings between Rozier and the Celtics front office, but I can't blame him for that. I hope things work out for him in Charlotte. It's been fun watching him play. I think Charlotte's getting a good one. And of course, D'Angelo Russell makes his way to Golden State, a sign-and-trade for the Warriors. It's a good move for them. They have somebody to compliment Steph Curry, another sharp-shooting guard. Clay Thompson might get back for the playoffs next year. This can take some of the load off of Steph Curry. This was a good move. Russell is another guy. His efficiency has struggled in the past, but now with a supporting cast, maybe he gets that figured out. Some of the biggest losers yesterday. Now, you talk about the Knicks. What about the Minnesota Timberwolves? Their roster's thinning out. There was a chance they were going to get D'Angelo Russell. They could have had kind of a big three. D'Lo, Carl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins. That's not an awful big three. That should be good enough to get you into the playoffs, one would think. And once again, Minnesota can't close the deal. Another missed opportunity by the Minnesota front office. Elsewhere, I won't say they were losers yesterday, Their plans failed, but actually I think it was a blessing in disguise for them, the Sacramento Kings. Their best player is De'Aaron Fox. He gives the fans optimism. Vladi Duvok's plan was to get Harrison Barnes, which they already have, and then offer Al Horford the max. I love Harrison Barnes. He's an Iowan just like me. I watched him play in high school. 
But Harrison Barnes's best days are behind him. And Al Horford is a complimentary piece. A really good complimentary piece. He's not the piece you build around. He's not your centerpiece. And what happens when De'Aaron Fox wants to get paid here in a couple of years? And Vladdy Duvok spent all his money on Horford and Barnes. The Kings' plans failed yesterday, and that was a good thing for them. That may have been the best thing that could have happened to them. I tell you what, though, if you want to keep an eye on a team that quietly had a good day yesterday, how about Memphis? They were able to get Jonas Valanciunas back. Originally, he was going to opt out of his three-year deal. Now he decides he wants to stay. Plus, they get Andre Ingandala from Golden State. Ingandala is certainly not what he used to be. He's coming to the end of his career, but he's still got something left in the tank. Keep in mind, this was a finals MVP a couple of years ago. Ingandala played some big minutes for them this year, and he played well. Ingandala's still got something left in the tank, and they are a young team. They just got John Morant. They've got Jaron Jackson Jr. Couple them with Valanchunas and a veteran like Ingadala. Memphis had a quietly good day yesterday. I tell you what, we'll have more on this throughout the week as signings continue to happen, and we will have the Kawhi Tracker right here on ESPN-UP. But I've got a guest I've got to get to. The WCHA could be no more in two years' time. I've got the mastermind of the plan joining me next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along on this Monday afternoon. Seven member schools from the Western Collegiate Hockey Association are looking at leaving the conference and forming their own effective for the 2021-2022 season. Among the schools exploring the breakaway, Northern Michigan, Michigan Tech, and Lake Superior State. Right now, there are 10 teams in the conference. This move would exclude both the Alaska schools, Fairbanks and Anchorage, along with Alabama-Huntsville. Logistically, it makes a lot of sense, but i got to believe that strength of schedule is a factor here, too. The schools have hired a spokesman. They have hired the services of Morris Kurtz Athletic Consulting, and Morris Kurtz joins us now on the ESPN-UP phone line. Morris, appreciate you taking the time. I know you got to be busy, hands full with this. Tell me about this move, how it came to be that these seven schools are looking to break away and form their own conference. Well, there's a total of seven institutions from the WCHA with a total commitment to providing the best, absolute best academic and athletic experience for their student-athletes. And they felt that a move in this direction would help accomplish that goal. Well, Morris, if this happens, if this does go through, then a new conference would be formed excluding the two Alaska schools and Alabama-Huntsville. Certainly, they're outliers geographically. How much did logistics and travel factor into this? Well, I think the, the college hockey community is a tight one. Uh, and if the viability of all 60 institutions sponsoring Division I men's hockey is important, and I certainly hope it is, then that, then that topic has to be discussed uh, by all 60 institutions and not just a handful. Um, and, and I think that it's been shown uh, in the past that the, the, the 60 schools uh, can rally around the cause and provide support to ensure viability, and we hope that that national discussion takes place. Have you had any conversations with anyone outside the WCHA as to whether this move would be beneficial or unbeneficial to the rest of college hockey? Well, right now, again, it's it's a process, uh, uh, and and that process has been initiated as of Friday. Uh, a required letter was sent to the conference office. 
uh, initiating a 25-month period. So there's over two years to go. Lots can happen during that period. Uh, but right now, we're, we're, we've just initiated the process. So lots more to come. Well, Morris, what to you has been the biggest motivator? What has been the driving force behind the potential move? Has it been strength of schedule? Has it been travel, logistics, what have you? Again, right now, there are seven institutions that feel very like-minded in terms of their commitment to the student-athlete experience, uh, commitment to uh, providing the resources their programs need to be competitive. So rather than looking at, at it from a negative, these seven institutions just feel comfortable uh, that they all share a common bond and commitment uh, to their uh, hockey programs and that uh, they can best serve their student-athletes uh, by following the course that they have outlined right now. Well, Morris, have you reached out to any of the schools that would be excluded, either Anchorage, Fairbanks, or Alabama-Huntsville? I know the commissioner has reached out to those institutions. Has the commissioner indicated at all how those schools are feeling about the potential move? I, I have not had those discussions. Well, Morris, what's the timetable for this? How quickly do school administrators want to move forward with this and start taking steps toward potentially a new conference? Well, again, uh, we have a 25-month period, uh, and we're looking forward to being active members uh, in the WCHA for the next two seasons and, and watch the process unfold uh, as these seven like-minded institutions move forward. From a legal standpoint, how is this all done? Schools have to file letters of notice, and they did that last week. But strictly from a legal standpoint, how does this all play out? Well, the requirements are a letter is submitted to the conference office, and once the letter is submitted, then the 25-month clock starts, and that's what happened on Friday. Has this been something that these seven schools have been serious about for a long time? At what point did this start coming to your attention? Well, this was really uh, at the beginning of the month that, uh, that I was uh, asked to uh, meet, with, uh, meet with these individual institutions and discuss my involvement with them. Well, we've touched on travel, we touched on strength of schedule, what have you. Any other concerns that were brought up by these seven schools, why they wanted to make this move happen? Again, just because you're for something doesn't mean you're against anything else. And these institutions, these seven like-minded institutions, are for providing the best academic athletic experience for their student-athletes, and they feel that this is the direction they, they need to travel to best accomplish that. How much, if at all, did strength of schedule factor into this? Again, there's so many factors, but right now uh, what we're looking at is seven institutions uh, that have decided to move in this direction, uh, and they're very excited about the uh, improved academic athletic experience of their student-athletes and uh, a renewed commitment to their uh, hockey programs. If this deal doesn't happen, are any of the seven schools considering joining a different conference, or are they committed to staying together? Right now, all seven institutions are very excited about this direction and feel very comfortable with the other members uh, in moving forward. Morris Kurtz of Morris Kurtz Athletic Consulting. He is the spokesman for the seven WCHA members exploring the possibility of starting a new conference. Morris, really appreciate you taking the time. All the best going forward. Looking forward to see what happens with the WCHA. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your week. Well, I tell you what, let's continue on with hockey. Let's move over to the NHL before we hit the break. The NBA free agency cycle has been getting a lot of attention, as it should. But how about what's going on in the NHL? All kinds of players on the move. Let's get you updated on a few trades. This morning, Ottawa picks up Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Brown, and Michael Carcioni. 
Then last night, a goalie for goalie swap. Scott Darling headed to the Florida Panthers in exchange for James Reimer. He will make his way to Carolina. And it really got crazy this afternoon. The New York Rangers agree to a seven-year deal with Artemi Panarin. The bread man is heading to New York on an $81.5 million contract. I'd like to see Detroit go after him. I thought he would have been a good fit with the Wings. But he is heading to New York City. Detroit instead is going to say welcome back to Valtteri Filbola. He was signed to a two-year deal earlier today. It will be his second tour of duty in Detroit. By the way, Matt Zuccarello signs a five-year, $30 million deal with Minnesota. That's a big pickup for them. They saw the writing on the wall that they weren't going to get Joe Pavelski. Instead, they pick up a really talented winger in Matt Zuccarello. Elsewhere, Florida gets their second goalie. Sergei Bobrovsky on a seven-year deal worth $70 million. He will be the heir apparent to Roberto Luongo. Scott Darling set to be his backup. Elsewhere, Joe Pavelski, Captain America, is now a Dallas star. Three years, $21 million. The New Jersey Devils sign Wayne Simmons, a one-year deal worth $5 million. Gustav Nyquist on his way to Columbus, four years, $22 million. And Edmonton picks up goaltender Mike Smith. Poor Connor McDavid. Poor guy. They inadvertently swap with Calgary because the Flames are getting Cam Talbot on a one-year deal. The Avalanche get Pierre Edward Bellemar to a two-year deal. The Oilers then re-sign Alex Chason to a two-year $4.3 million deal. Jonas Donskoy agrees to a four-year deal with Colorado. It's worth $3.9 million. Brandon Tenev agrees to a six-year deal with Pittsburgh. Florida really having a busy day. Noel Achiari signs a three-year deal with the Panthers. Minnesota picks up Ryan Hartman. That's a two-year deal worth $1.9 million. The Rangers trade Jimmy Vesey to the Sabres for a third-round pick. Edmonton again, they pick up Marcus Granlin. That's on a one-year deal. The Senators get Ron Hainsey and Tyler Ennis, each to one-year contracts. Toronto signs Jason Spiza to a one-year deal. How about this? Another big one for Dallas. A one-year, $1.5 million deal for Corey Perry. That's right. Scory Perry is going to team up with Captain America in Dallas. Right now, a few more free agents looking for homes. Matt Duchesne expected to sign with the Predators and Brett Connolly looking to head down to Florida. Florida and Dallas looking like the big winners today. Andrew Shaw, by the way, makes his way back to Chicago. He is traded for draft picks from Montreal. You got all that? It's been a busy day as far as NHL free agency goes. But despite all of that, I still think that the biggest move came Saturday night. And it was my Pittsburgh Penguins, my beloved Pittsburgh Penguins, that sent away one of the most beloved players in the game, one of my favorite players in Phil Kessel. Saturday night, Phil Kessel was sent to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for Alex Galchenyuk. I tell you what, I'm torn on this trade. I really am. As a Penguins fan, even just a fan of hockey, has got to love Phil Kessel. He's a fan favorite. I am torn because he won two Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh. He's a personable, affable guy, and he never missed a game. During his four seasons in Pittsburgh, he appeared in all 82 regular season games plus playoffs. Phil brought health and longevity to the table. Plus one heck of a slap shot, some of the best interviews that you can remember. It had been rumored that he had been asked to be traded, that he asked General Manager Jim Rutherford to deal him somewhere. Kessel, however, did deny that. There were rumors that there was a rift between him and Evgeny Malkin. 
and quite a bit those two would partner in the same line. Malkin would center, Kess would play right wing. Gino sent Phil a sentimental message on Instagram. There's no beef between them. I'm torn on this trade because I really like Phil Kessel, and I'm going to miss him in Pittsburgh. It was a big part of two Stanley Cup runs. And this is why I'd be a terrible GM, because I'm too much of a fan. This was a good trade for both teams, for both Pittsburgh and Arizona. They both won this trade, and I'll tell you why. Arizona gets an elite scorer. They've been looking for somebody like that for a long time. Galchenyuk has elite scoring capabilities, but he struggled in Arizona. He wasn't the same guy he was in Montreal a few years ago, probably because there's not a lot of pieces around him in Arizona. Now he doesn't have to be the top dog, the top offensive player. He can go into Pittsburgh, and he'll have help. Kessel can lead a team. He can be the best offensive player. He's a veteran. He doesn't look fast. He doesn't look like he's in shape, and yet he's one of the top scorers in the game, and he's a really good skater. What's more, Arizona's coached by Rick Tockett. He was the assistant coach for Pittsburgh during their 2016 and 17 Cup runs. Him and Kessel have a really good relationship. Those two are excited to work with each other again. Kessel brought a lot to Pittsburgh. Two Cups in four years. He was an extremely impactful player. It's time to move on. He's going to do well in Arizona. I thought Arizona was a team on the rise before this trade. I thought they had a good chance of making the playoffs. I really think they're going to do it now. I really do. For Pittsburgh, you get a guy who's much younger and much cheaper in Galchenyuk. Seven years ago, he was drafted number three overall. Now he's 25 years old. He's looked really good at times. Offensively, he's been excellent, but not with the consistency that you want. Back when he played for Montreal, he had help. He had guys around him. He had a supporting cast, and his numbers reflected it. He went to Arizona. He struggled. Now getting back to Pittsburgh, where you've got a really good supporting cast that includes Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, maybe the change of scenery is all that Galchenyuk needs. Galchenyuk doesn't score at the same rate that Phil Kessel did, but he's more versatile, meaning he can play both wing positions. Kessel was limited. He could only play right wing. You can stick Galchenyuk on either side. Maybe the biggest win, though, for Pittsburgh coming out of this trade is the cap space issue. Again, it's not a huge amount of cap space that's opened up here. But it's enough where Pittsburgh is trying to go after a top-tier defenseman. That's what Pittsburgh is looking at right now, because that was the weakest part of their team last year. They had two main defensemen playing like forwards, trying to play like Eric Carlson without Eric Carlson's scoring ability. Even Chris Letang last year, people thought he could be a Norris finalist at the midway point. But the playoff series against New York was one of the worst I've ever seen from him. He looked like a guy that belonged on the AHL ice. Defense was Pittsburgh's weak point last year. Now they're bringing in Dominic Cahoon and hopefully somebody else. They've got to address that need because they left Matt Murray out to dry way too many times. And when you're a guy like Latang and you've got a bunch of 25 and unders, you've got to be the one setting the tone. Latang has got to be better as he starts to wind down his career, and the Penguins got to get younger and more talented on the defensive end. I suspect that the money that they freed up from flipping Kessel for Golchanyuk is going to be pooled to try and get a top-tier defenseman. Because Pittsburgh hasn't had one of those in a long time outside of Chris Latang, and you can make the argument, is Chris Latang really top-tier? NHL free agency continues. Be sure to keep an eye on it. 
And if you miss anything, we'll have it for you here in ESPN-UP. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, Charlie Bramer is going to join me for the Wisconsin Sports Update. All that and more next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Charlie Bramer will join us in just a second for the Wisconsin Sports Report, but first your Sports Center update. The current field for this year's MLB Home Run Derby includes Christian Yelich, Carlos Santana, Josh Bell, Pete Alonso, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Vlad Guerrero Jr. There are still two spots remaining. President Donald Trump has ordered the Pentagon to draft a new policy that would allow college athletes attending the service academies, Army, Navy, and Air Force, to be able to play professional sports immediately after graduation. The current policy requires two years of active duty from all service academy graduates before pursuing a career in professional sports. The Trump administration tried this once before. Back in 2017, then-Defense Secretary James Mattis rejected the measure. And finally... A group of 3,942 people in Trenton, Ontario, Canada donned red shirts and formed the world's largest human maple leaf in honor of Canada Day. A representative from Guinness was on site and confirmed the new world record. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. It is time for the Wisconsin Sports Report, and for that we have Charlie Bramer. What's up, Charlie? I am so happy to be here, Tanner. Thank you so much. Um, this is this is a fun time of the summer for sports. Especially with the All-Star game next week. Brewers are playing well. Chance to take a stranglehold in the Central before the break. And, and the Brewers analysts the other day during the game, I, th- I believe it was yesterday actually, brought up an interesting point. In 2017, two years ago, there was only one team in the Central above 500 at the All-Star break. Mm. And I believe they were they were 10 games over, and it was the Brewers. And I believe they had a five, five-and-a-half game lead on the Cubs at that point. And we all know who ended up winning the Central <laughs> easily that season. So this year there's only two teams over 500. But I believe in the loss column, everybody's within four or five games. You know, 88 wins might win that division this year. 86, 88. A team gets 10 games over 500 in that division. They might be able to take it because they're just all beating up on each other. I mean, let's face it, that Derek Johnson has gone into Cincinnati and, and, and just turned around that pitching staff. Man, none of these teams are an easy three-game series, that's for sure. Well, I tell you what, the Pirates are starting to surge a little bit. They're starting to climb back in contention, although the Brewers had a good weekend against them. Yeah, they won 8 out of 10, and you know Brewers pitching had been among the worst in the majors throughout the month of June. I believe their starters had an ERA of almost 6. For the month of June, mm-hmm. just, I mean, that's just, I mean, I don't care wh- how many injuries you have, what's going on. You should be able to bring up guys from AAA and, and have better success than that, which they did bring up guys from AAA this week. They made some huge moves. I thought I might break down when they DFA'd Aaron Perez, but I've been mm-hmm. able to keep it together. When, when you really look at what they're doing, it, it made sense. He just doesn't get on base enough. I'm sure he'll get picked up if he hasn't gotten picked up already. I was going to look into that later. Bringing up Tyler Saladino, 250 at-bats at AAA this year. He's got 14 home runs, 18 doubles. Uh, he had an OPS over 940. So if he can translate to that, I mean, even if his OPS goes down 14 points and, and if he can play a solid shortstop, the Brewers will take that. 
seems like they'll get a great week out of Orlando, and then you just don't hear anything for two weeks. They just want some consistency. Obviously, Travis Shaw had some options available, so they sent him back to AAA. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's there for the rest of the season. Might get called back up in September. Keston Hira, I believe he's here to stay. And he looked great defensively over the weekend. Um, and and the hits will start coming more and more. Um, when he was up last time, saw some interesting stuff. For all second basemen in the major leagues, I believe he was second in home runs during the 18-game span he was up last time. He was right up there in all major statistical categories. I'm I'm beside myself with excitement for Keston Hero. The upside is better for Keston Hero than it is for Aaron Perez. I would, yes. And and it was interesting. Aaron Perez was the first acquisition made after Craig Council was instated as manager. He was the third longest tenured player behind Ryan Braun and Jimmy Nelson. Mm. So that I don't know, you know, that's just just another interesting tidbit that I've that I picked up this week. I tell you what, Eric Thames is really starting to find his consistency at the plate. I am so glad you brought him up. You talk about guys that have been able to keep this team from just completely imploding. He has won them quite a few games. He's only started forty two games. You know, you can look at they always just show games. Eric Thames is a guy, yeah, he's appeared in over seventy games. But he started less than two-thirds of the games he's appeared in. So, so then I look at how many games has he started. Then I compare his war among other players. I mean, you look at guys like Gary Sanchez, Jose Altuve. I was just typing in random names throughout the league. I mean, he's blowing away Lorenzo Cain and many guys on the Brewers this year. He's right up there in war. You know, like Jesus Aguilar, Travis Shaw, they were negative war. This is all, you know, what's costing the Brewers. But... Um, I'm I'm really glad so far Jesus has been able to hold on to the roster. But yeah, Eric Thames, his OPS is well over 920 now. The more playing time he gets, the lower that's going to go. He's going to be facing more and more lefties, and and that that's really going to hurt him. He's been doing better this year against lefties overall. But yeah, right now he is exactly what the doctor ordered for this offense, and expect him to continue and probably for the rest of the season get the vast majority of playing time at first base. And and when they face lefties, about half the time they'll start Manny Pena at catcher and play Yasmani Grandal at first. It, it can still, even without Jesus in the lineup, uh, give Eric in the ability to sit out the first four or five innings. Then he usually comes in for the second half of the game. Uh, when a lefty starts but that's just been historically his numbers get a little bit inflated because they don't make him face a whole lot of lefties but I think that's going to change and he's going to have to he's going to have to figure it out against lefties a little bit and, and and get it done I did this segment last week who has been more disappointing for the Brewers this year has it been Ulysses or Jesus Aguilar, or somebody else. But who's been the most disappointing brewer this year? Oh, that's such a good question. I think I'd have to say Jesus Aguilar just because he really carried that team day in and day out first half of the season last year. Um, He was Christian Yelich before Christian Yelich caught fire after the All-Star game last year. And he didn't start playing regularly until the second half of May. So if he had played April the first half of May, he might have been just like Christian, 29-30 homers before the All-Star break. His last three years in AAA for the Indians, he hit a combined 90 home runs. So he was consistently consistent, which is what the Brewers are dying for right now. Yolis, he has been consistently inconsistent. He's done this throughout his career. I don't. 
This should not be such a surprise to Brewers fans. That's why they got him on a two-year, $12 million deal. It was almost for certain. They'd get one good year, one bad year. You go look at his statistics throughout his career. That's what he's given teams. It's baffling. You think that by the time he got into his mid-30s, he'd be able to you know, take those years where he has a ERA in the mid to high threes and, and the years where he has an ERA in the low to mid fives and combine that and just steadily have an ERA in the low fours. And, and the Brewers would take that at this point. Well, I tell you what, the home run derby, one week from tonight. I can't wait for it. I yeah. love All-Star Weekend. I love everything about it. We know four Brewers are going to be at the All-Star Game. As of now, there's going to be one in the home run derby. How do you feel about having a, one of your favorite players in the home run derby. Do you feel like it takes a toll on him in the second half of the year? I don't know. I don't know if there's a real correspondence, if there's a link between it or not. But think back in 2017, Miguel Sano and Aaron Judge were the two finalists, and they had awful second halves of their seasons. And Jesus Aguilar last year. Yes. And, and that cuts very deep with me. He has still not recovered. Mm-hmm. Um but there has been some in the past. Prince Fielder is 50 homer season. Like like I said, he had 29 at the All-Star break that year. And then he ended up with 50. So his second half was a little bit of a drop-off. That's that's common when, when you get off to that hot of a start. It's kind of like the Madden cover curse where mm. some people say, that's crazy, you're, you know, it's just, it's nothing. Stop looking into that. Like there's no correlation, but it's like one of those unexplained phenomena. Exactly, and, and but there is definitely something to it for some of the guys. I'm just hoping, and I've, I've, I've been able to calm myself with the worry of Christian Yelich messing up his swing because when he hits these 462-foot bombs, he just keeps that nice level swing. His swing is no different when he hits a, a line drive up the middle for a single than, than when he hits that 462-foot homer off, off the center field scoreboard in Milwaukee. It's the same swing, and, and so I'm really hoping he can stay within his swing and, and do well at the home run derby. I do not care if he wins. Just, you know, don't get embarrassed, and and um, kind of like Jesus did last year. Yeah. But don't get embarrassed and stay within his swing. And then hopefully, you know, because it's when guys really start changing their swing for the home run derby that they say it it screws it up. So if he can just keep his swing the same, it it should just be a glorified batting practice, hopefully. Five of the six candidates that I read at the top of the update that have already been chosen for the home run derby, Yelich, Santana, Bell, Alonzo, and Guerrero, they have confirmed that they are going to participate. Ronald Acuna Jr. being the only one that hasn't so far. Two spots left. Who should get them? That is really a good question because there are so many guys that, you know, that I really... Who do you think should get them? I'm, I'm really cheaping out on that question, aren't I? I think Cody Bellinger should. For, for I'm, sure. I'm surprised he's not one of the top six already, to be honest with you. Right, and he has that nice, smooth, left-handed swing. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think he could do the home run derby without really screwing his swing up, too. I, I think he'd be a good one. I think Luke Voigt from the Yankees will have a chance. I think Gary Sanchez has a chance. Right, and there are so many guys that are worthy. It's, it's like, I'm, there's really nobody that... That 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 you'd be disappointed if they got in. You don't have to be in the All Star game to be in the home run derby, correct? No. You know, Hunter Pence. Um, it'd mm. be fun to see some. You know, like Nelson Cruz. Oh yeah. Um, guys that are just mashing the ball this year and are older guys. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be fun to just to see them back in that in the spotlight again for a little while. 
I would like to think Eddie Rosario has a chance. He's only top five in all of baseball in that category. For sure, yeah. But he got snubbed from the All-Star game yesterday, which no. I still don't get. Isn't there, isn't there still like a final roster spot available? I thought there each? was. I haven't that's seen they, if yeah. they're voting on it yet. That's what they've done in the past. They've done it in the past, but I haven't. Uh, Rosario was up for that last year. Yeah, and there would be – that's how Jesus got in last year. I, I just don't understand. Two – for the team with the third best record in all of baseball. Two! I know, and that's the Twins getting snubbed. That's the way it was for the Brewers in the early 2000s when they had to scratch and claw to get guys like Corey Hart or Jeff Jenkins in, who were clearly all-stars at that time, but they just had no recognition, no notoriety. Miller Park had just opened. It seems like ever since they had the all-star game in Milwaukee, it's just gotten easier and easier and easier. It, it, it seems like hopefully the Twins, that'll, that'll continue as the game continues to expand as far as the small market teams getting more and more notoriety that they deserve. But it seems like the Twins are one of the main teams that still, even if they're really good, their players just don't necessarily get the notice like I think they do in Milwaukee. Two for the team that's on pace to win 104 games. They had two All-Stars in 2014 when they lost 92 games. I know. There should at least be four, if uh, probably five from the Twins. I think five for sure the Twins should definitely have another two. Well, I tell you what, we know that Christian is going to start in right field. We know that Josh Hader has made the pitching staff, and Yasmani Grandal, well-deserved, does get on to the National League roster, as does Mike Moustakis, so pretty good showing for Milwaukee. Yeah, and it's kind of like last year. The guys that you thought really deserved it once once Jesus and, and uh, Jeremy were, were involved, got on. You felt good about it. I feel good about it this year. You know, Brandon Woodruff being the first one to 10 wins, his ERA is, what, 3-7? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's right up there with strikeouts. He's a fun guy to watch pitch. He fits the all-star mold in that way. It would be nice to see him get in. But I'm totally fine with Brewers pitching getting snubbed because give those arms that break. Yep. You know, and, and after the all-star game jo- last year, Josh Hader had a few outings. He his velocity was down a little bit. I remember bit, that, yeah. And and he gave up some home runs because that's what he does. He doesn't. He never gets hit a lot. Mm-hmm. But what happens is he'll give up a walk or two, and then a guy will hit a big fly. That's always historically how he picks up a loss. I would be totally fine with him not appearing in the game this year. Well, I tell you what, here are the all-star rosters in case you missed them. The American League starters, these were voted on by the fans. Minnesota's Jorge Polanco, New York's DJ LeMayhew, Cleveland's Carlos Santana, New York's Gary Sanchez, Texas Hunter Pence, Los Angeles's Mike Trout, Michael Brantley of Houston, George Springer of Houston, and Alex Bregman of Houston. The American League pitchers, Baltimore's John Means, Detroit sends Shane Green, Marcus Stroman from Toronto, Minnesota's Jake Odorizzi, Tampa Bay with Charlie Morton, Cleveland's Brad Hand, Chicago's Lucas Giolito, New York's Aroldis Chapman, Texas's Mike Miner, Justin Verlander of Houston, Garrett Cole of Houston, Ryan Presley of Houston. Six All-Stars! How about that for Houston? Houston. I know. And then uh, the American League reserves, Mookie Betts from Boston, J.D. Martinez from Boston, James McCann from Chicago, Kansas City's Whit Merrifield, Matt Chapman from Oakland, Daniel Vogelbach from Seattle, Austin Meadows from Tampa Bay, Joey Gallo from Texas, the Angels' Tommy LaStella, Chicago's Jose Abreu, and Francisco Lindor 
from Cleveland. Oh, geez. I can tell you right now, man, there are some names on that list that should be replaced by Twins players. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, Mookie Betts is not an all-star this no. year. He is not an all-star. You do not get none of his stats. They don't matter from last year, people. I don't get <laughs> it. You know, I would have expected for him to be an all-star this year. I would have thought, oh, fans would have to vote him in. But, no, he's a reserve. So I don't get why he's a reserve i don't get why it was picked it it shouldn't yeah he's a star and i get mlb is probably saying you know we want our our players that are known and you know we want people to be familiar with these guys mm-hmm. we don't want to put out a bunch of players where you know like whit merrifield and everybody half the people are gonna be like Who, who's this guy you know they they want their stars to have that recognition but mookie betts is not an all-star this year and jorge polanco is how did Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez get all-star recognition and Xander Bogarts didn't? Like, that's, if you want to stick with the Red Sox, that's fine. Right. But put in Xander Bogarts, a guy who actually deserves to be there. You know, I guess I guess it's a positional thing, but I don't care about the positions at that point. Well, I tell you what, here are the National League starters. Again, they are voted on by the fans. Nolan Arenado from Colorado, Javier Baez from Chicago, Arizona's Kittle Marte, Atlanta's Freddie Freeman, Wilson Contreras from Chicago, Los Angeles's Cody Bellinger, Milwaukee's Christian Yelich, and Atlanta's Ronald Acuna Jr. The pitching staff, Luis Castillo comes from Cincinnati, Kirby Yates from San Diego, Will Smith Right now, he's a San Francisco Giant. I don't think he'll be there by the end of the year. Max Scherzer from Washington. Zach Grinke from Arizona. Hengen Rue will start the game. He's uh, representing the Dodgers. And Sandy Alcantara from Miami. He gets into the game with a whip of 170. I know, I know. Mike Soroka from Atlanta, L.A.'s Walker Bueller, L.A.'s Clayton Kershaw, New York's Jacob deGrom, and Milwaukee's Josh Hader. And then the reserves, New York's Pete Alonzo, J.T. Romuto from Philadelphia, Josh Bell from Pittsburgh, Paul DeYoung from St. Louis, Anthony Rendon from D.C., Jeff McNeil from New York, Yasmati Grandolf from the Brewers, Trevor Story and David Dahl from the Rockies, Charlie Blackman also with the Rockies, Chris Bryant from Chicago, and Mike Moustakis from wow. Milwaukee. Wow, all those names. And, oh, like Mike Moustakis, Grandall, obviously, I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> going to. But there are so many guys on that. Charlie Blackman, there are so many good players on the NL reserves. This is one year, finally, that I feel like the NL roster is significantly stronger than the AL. It's been seven years since they won an All-Star game. This would be the year you would think they can end that streak. I really think so. Obviously, pitching is what it's going to come down to, just like with every baseball game. But I really believe, and I'd like to get your take on this, this is finally the year I feel that the NL has more star power and better, just better players overall, at least this year. I don't know if I'm ready to say that. I like both rosters. And, And both rosters are good. And obviously, both rosters have guys that are superstars, but there are just some guys that are having down years this year, like like Martinez and Betts that we named, mm-hmm. that are on the AL roster, and I didn't see so much of that. There's a little bit of that on the NL roster, but 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 not not so much. I, I really feel like the NL roster is stronger from from a standpoint looking at it this year, where the guys are right now. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. The Wisconsin Sports Update, getting into the All Star break. 
Maybe one more week to the All-Star okay. break, but we're breaking it down for you. Did baseball make a good impression in London this weekend? Plus, I've got some audio from Saturday's UP All-Star football game next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, check it out on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play just look up ESPN-UP. All kinds of content on there. If you're like me, you listen to the London series over the weekend. I've got some thoughts on that, man. I'm running out of time. There's a lot that I wanted to get to today. I didn't even get to all the NBA signings or trades, including the Miami Heat, dealing Hassan Whiteside to Portland, Mo Harkless, and Myers Leonard. That's the return. That's what they're getting back in Miami. The Boston Celtics using what's left of their cap space money on Enes Cantor. I like that. Two years, $10 million, canter to the Celtics, and it is finally made official that Klay Thompson is going to be a Golden State Warrior again. They drag their feet a little bit, but they ultimately do the right thing. I want to get to all that today. Oh, and by the way, I just checked my phone and saw Sebastian Ajo switching in NHL now. Sebastian Ajo is with Montreal. There's all kinds of trades flying. I'm doing my darndest to try and stay on top of them. But I tell you what, this weekend... The MLB went to London for the first time ever. The Yankees took two from the Red Sox across the pond. It makes me wonder, what kind of impression did baseball leave over there? There was a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement early on in the day. People came not just from England, but from all over Europe. Pro baseball in Europe, you get fans from Germany, from Poland, from Belgium. They hear about baseball over there. Maybe they even see a little bit of it. But very rarely do they get to see the best players in the world. Guys take the MLB stage. That's what they got to see this weekend in London. Did baseball put on a good enough show for London? I tell you what, the ball was flying out of the park. And a big reason why is because that stadium was built for the Olympics. In fact, where the pitcher's mound stood, that's where the finish line was, where Usain Bolt set his record at the 2016 Olympics. You're trying to fit a baseball stadium and do a symmetrically round circle. That means they're going to have a really short home run porch and a lot of foul territory, even more than Oakland. And that short porch with the way the Yankees are mashing the ball, homering in 31 straight games, going to lead to a lot of long balls. And that got the crowd on their feet. That was a good impression. But at some point, do you think it got old? Let's go back to Saturday. Neither pitcher made it out of the first inning. Neither starter made it out of the first inning. We went through a heat wave here in Michigan. I think we went through a heat wave everywhere. I talked to somebody in D.C. I talked to family back in Iowa. They were all going through heat waves, too. Turns out London was as well. So you had people who may have just gone for the attraction. Maybe weren't baseball guys, but maybe just wanted to be part of something special and unique in London. And they're sitting there for four and a half hours in 85 to 90 degree heat. A lot of pitching changes, a lot of time between pitches thrown, and there's a lot of sitting and waiting around. I'm not totally convinced that was the greatest impression baseball could have made. Certainly offense is a good thing, but I think a lot of those soccer fans over there were probably shocked to see all the scorning. I'd like to get into that more, but we are already over time, and I've got some audio I want to play for you. This Saturday was the UP High School Football All-Star Game at the Superior Dome, and Marquette County very well represented. The red team ended up beating the black team 42-28. A late pick six ended up sealing the deal. Westwood quarterback Nathan Beckman was named offensive MVP for the red team. I caught up with him following the game. 
Dan Oopsbury, ESPN UP, following the UP All-Star football game at the Superior Dome, speaking with Nathan Beckman, named offensive MVP for the Red Team. What a way to end your high school career. How's it feel? Uh, you know, it feels pretty good. You know, this is a great week. This is a great game. It's a lot of fun, and, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to get uh, named that offensive MVP. It's a pretty high honor. Tell me about the Nathan Beckman that entered high school football as a freshman and the guy standing in front of me now. Well, they're, they're two different people, and they're a lot different. You know, there's, they have a different way of thinking. They have a different work ethic. You know, a- athleticism, talent, that comes and goes. But, you know, it's the hard work and the dedication and just the character traits that really stay steady. Maybe a little weird having Coach Surge on the other sideline, but tell me what he's done for you, how he's molded you into the man and football player you are. Well, he's done a lot. You know, he's, he's showed me showed me what I need to do, what it takes, you know, he, and not even that, just he showed me how to be a good person and a good good athlete. He always says good people make good athletes, and, you know, he's, he's turned me into a good person. Help me do that. What's next? Does he get set for Tech? Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to Tech in the fall. That'll be a lot of fun. we got a lot of guys playing in this game that are going up there, you know, and it's just a lot of hard work getting ready for the season, you know. Getting up there should be fun. That was Westwood quarterback Nathan Beckman committed to continue his football career at Michigan Tech this fall. His head coach, Scott Sergula, on the other sideline. Coach Team Black spoke with him after the game as well. You know, we had some really great kids on that black team that played their heart out. And, uh, um, you know, my hat's off to, you know, the red team. Um, It uh, made some big plays when they needed to. And, you know, uh, one of those guys was my guy, Nathan Beckman. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of him. And, um, you know, you always want to try to win. But, it, you know, it's just an all-star game. We got together. We threw some guys together in a week. And, you know what I mean? I won't, And I don't want to say it's just an all-star game. But, I mean, it, there's, you know, you got to have some perspective on things. And, uh, you know, uh, Brandon Christensen, I met a kid, him from Newberry. Wonderful, wonderful young man. You know, and we had a whole bunch of those guys, and that's that's what I like. That's why I like this week, and uh, I just thanked them for everything, hugged them. Um, you know, it, uh, we got we were on the sidelines there. We talked really quick, and you know, and I said, uh, comes down to mistakes. You know, and you know, we we had a we had a few mistakes, and um, yeah, what do you do? It's uh, that that's what it was. they had mistakes early on. Then we it seemed like we corrected them. And then all of a sudden the fourth quarter rolls around, you know, because we came out, scored right away, and uh, I thought I thought actually it was going to be a different different half for us. And then they come back and score, and then I think we scored again or something like that, and, you know, we just made too many mistakes down the stretch. Coach, uh, you're back with Jeff Olson on the sideline once again. Get your two staffs together. Tell me about one last ride together. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to get back with Jeff, and, uh, you know, I was with him for, for uh, umpteen years, and, uh, you know, just talking with them and being with them this week and, you know, wishing them well. And I thanked them for everything. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's taught me a lot, lot uh, not only about football, but about life too. So it, uh, it was nice to have them. And, you know, so we were good. See a few of your Westwood kids, the way they performed today, some with you, some on the other side. Tell me about them from when they came to you as freshmen to the way you're leaving them, letting them go out into the world. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much. I'll get emotional. But uh, I already did a, enough when they graduated and everything else. It's uh, probably the, one of the best classes I've ever been around. They're great kids. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to have a lifelong relationship with those kids because they, uh, that's who they are. They're great people. 
With that, let's call today. Kept you a little bit long. I apologize. Hope you enjoyed the show, though, as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Class is dismissed. I'll be back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, right here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Until then, my name's Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP.